0: This is episode 57 of the Magic Detective Podcast. On this episode, you'll hear about the life of the Fox sisters. That and more on this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magic Detective Podcast, your podcast home for magic history. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective, and this is episode 57. And I might add, it is day one for season three. Now, before I get into the feature today, I've got to mention some sad news. And I'm sure you already have heard about this, but I just like to have it documented. Uh, recently, we lost a couple people in our, our magic world, James Randy and Ken Klosterman. Both very unique individuals in their own ways. Uh, Randy was a full-time performer and later in life became a psychic debunker. Uh, Ken Klosterman also for a time was a full-timer until he took over his father's bakery and then eventually became a magic collector and a very impressive one at that. Randy was 92. I think Ken was close to his 90s or in his 90s. Both men will be greatly missed. And by the way, I do have a Randy story that is very little known. And it happened in the mid-1970s in Caracas, Venezuela. Both Steve Baker and James Randy were hired by a TV show to create some escapes. Steve was there to do several escapes. Randy was going to do an upside-down hanging straitjacket escape. Now, I've told Steve's story before on an earlier podcast But Randy's story I've never shared. His escape from the straitjacket was supposed to be hanging upside down from a building. Now, the day of the show, they showed up with a helicopter. Randy was apparently ready to back out, but then was assured that all they were going to do was lift him off the ground to a certain height, keep him there, and then once he escaped, they would lower him. So Randy reluctantly agreed. However... Once inside the jacket and hanging upside down, he soon discovered they had other plans. Rather than keep him hanging in one spot, the helicopter took off, with poor Randy hanging below. They actually came close, from what I understand, to slamming into some buildings, while, again, Randy continued to hang, but he somehow got out unscathed. He was irate when it was all over, but unhurt. Steve, on the other hand, received third-degree burns from an escape he was doing called Trial by Fire. And it is also my understanding that both Steve and Randy escaped Venezuela in the dark of the night because they no longer trusted the production company. Now, another person has died from our community as well, Natalie Hoop. And you may not be familiar with her, she was one of the divas of magic in the Hans Clock magic show. She was a remarkable assistant. And Natalie, by the way, previously worked with Dutch magician Hans Kazan. She had worked with Hans Klock since 1999. And if you watch any footage online, any YouTube footage of Hans Klock uh, Hans performing, chances are you'll see Natalie right there doing the illusions with him. She was fantastic, and she passed away this week from cervical cancer, and may she rest in peace. Now, before I get too far into things, I did want to mention that yours truly is appearing on another podcast, and it's a podcast called The Branding for Entertainers Podcast, hosted by Billy Diamond. My episodes are number 10 and number 11, and I I tell you, I think you'll find... um, all the episodes of great interest. So I encourage you to check out numbers one through nine as well. Uh, Great information on marketing and branding for the performing artists. Uh, You can find the podcast if you go online at brandingentertainers.com forward slash podcasts forward slash. A big thank you to Billy Diamond for inviting me over there to be featured. By the way, his podcast is also on all the different uh, podcasting platforms, so just look up Branding Entertainers, and you'll find the Branding Entertainers podcast. Now, usually each new season begins with a Houdini week, but this year, I originally had planned something a little different and unfortunately none of my plans came together because of how busy I was preparing for gigs and stuff in October. One of my plans was to have a week of spooky stories for you, but did I manage that? Nope, not even a single episode. Um, so actually today's, um, today's podcast came from that initial idea. So I'm going to share that one with you here in just a moment. I also had a Houdini thing for this week, which now I'm going to save until the end of the podcast so you can hear about that. I'm starting season three by covering the famed Fox sisters. Now, wait, you say, you say, they're not magicians. Really? Well, either they were magicians or they were real. Yeah, I I get it. I'm, you know... I'm using magician in a very broad context, but, you know, I still believe it kind of fits. Um, This all started for me when I was listening to some other podcasts online on the Fox sisters. And in a word, I was shocked. I was shocked at how bad they were. Not the Fox sisters, how bad some of these other podcasts are. They're dreadful. Most of the ones I listened to made fun of the two girls or they just simply had no idea of the whole concept of what they were doing. I, on the other hand, I find this whole time in history to be really fascinating. And also I have questions, you know, like um, how did two very young children essentially start a religion? What would possess two young children to deceive not only their family, their neighbors, but the world? Hmm, let's find out. Just like Adam and Eve, it all began with an apple. But before I get there, let me set the stage. The Fox family was a rather large family. Mother and father were Margaret and John Fox. There were four grown siblings who already had left home. Leah was the oldest, uh, having been born in 1813. Elizabeth was born in 1815. Then there was Maria, born 1817, and David, born 1820. The two youngest children were Margarita and Catherine. They lived in a small house that is described as a 1.5 floor house. so I guess it's that's a floor and a half. And I assume the second floor is probably one of those those ones that had the, uh, the sloped roof, so it was kind of that's where you get the half a roof. and that's where the bedrooms were or ups, uh, were upstairs. For the sake of clarity, so we're all going to be on the same page, I'm going to assume that you don't know anything about the Fox sisters. Yes, I know many of you do, but I'm just going to tell you the whole story. In March 1848, strange knocking sounds began to be heard coming from within the house. It was described then as actually rapping sounds, but the term rapping has a different meaning today, so I'm just going to try and stick with knocking. Now, these weren't knocking or creaking sounds that you might expect with an old house. These came about when one of the sisters would ask an invisible visitor a question. This invisible visitor was referred to by the girls as Mr. Splitfoot. This refers to the goat-like feet that the devil is thought to have had. I don't know about you, but I'm already kind of creeped out. This first test had them snapping their fingers so that the so-called spirit would snap back, or actually knock back, the same number of snaps. Then they would begin by asking simple yes or no questions, and Mr. Splitfoot would answer by knocking back two for yes, three for no, that kind of thing. Catherine, or Kate, was 11 years old. Margarita, or Maggie, was 14, the year, as I said, 1848. The Civil War had not begun. That wouldn't happen until the 1860s. The telegraph was the most advanced form of communication, and it was only a few years old. Newspapers were tirelessly slow to be reproduced and did not yet include pictures or illustrations as that tech had not yet been developed. And here are two girls, two young girls, apparently communicating with spirits. Word got out fast, and soon neighbors were coming over to have a look for themselves. The first major development was a code set up between the group and the spirit. This was some sort of alphabet code which allowed them to spell out words and thus actually communicate in a deeper manner. And it was soon revealed that the spirit was that of a peddler who had been murdered in that home a few years previously. Some stories claim that there were bones found in the foundation of the house, although other sources say that those bones actually belong to animals. Also, did you notice the odd thing here? Uh, First, we had Mr. Splitfoot as the source of the uh, communication, and now it turns out to be a dead peddler. Hmm, interesting. While the excitement of this ongoing event is happening, people in the area are visiting and also being interviewed by local journalists. According to the book Talking to the Dead by Barbara Weisberg, a family called the Weakmans came forth. They had lived in that very house before the Fox family. They claimed to have heard the raps while they lived there. In fact, they were terrorized by them. All of this, the sudden communication with spirits, leads to a religion called spiritualism. At least that's what we've been told. However, that's not quite the big picture. Communication between man and spirit has been recorded for thousands of years. It appears in the Bible, many other books. But think about this for a second. If you recall American history in New England in the 1600s, there were the Salem witch trials. It would seem that this type of thing Presented by two young girls could easily fall in the category of witchcraft, except for one thing. The hatred of the supernatural did not really ex- extend beyond Salem, and according to the book The Haunting of America by William Burns and Joel Martin, this Salem witchcraft madness produced something of a backlash. In essence, it had the opposite effect. There was actually more interest than ever. But also society was changing, It was changing in Europe. It was changing here in America. In America, the 18th century became known as the Age of Enlightenment and the Age of Reason. So you had your two groups, the skeptics and the believers. And then, of course, among the believers, there were those that really believed. So I think more than anything, the Fox sisters can be credited with making Talking to the Spirits commercial. But there's a little bit more to it, and you'll find out about that in just a few moments. So all this starts March 31st, 1848. A very short time later, Leah Fox gets into the picture. Leah was the oldest sibling. She was 35 years old when all this started. She took the girls away from their home in Hydesville, New York. Perhaps to protect them from the onslaught of people who began to visit the small town. By the way, David Price's book, Magic, A Pictorial History of Conjurers in the Theater, brings up this important point. No one raised the question of why the Raps left the haunted house in Hydesville and accompanied Margaret and Kate to Rochester. So, the girls are moved by their older sister Leah to Rochester. According to one source, Margaret stayed with Leah and Kate stayed with the older brother David on his farm. But the book Radical Spirits by Anne Browd, it points out the girls were invited to live with a wealthy Quaker family, the Post family. They viewed the girls as genuine mediums and began to introduce them around to families who would later become the core of the early spiritualist church. Now, it might sound like the older sister came to the rescue to pull them away from the haunted house and all that commotion. However, no sooner was Margaret in Rochester, she began sharing her talents for the throngs of people who stopped by Leah's home. Leah saw before her an opportunity to make an enormous amount of money. And on November 14th, 1849, at Corinthian Hall, the largest such place in Rochester, Margaret gave her first public and paid demonstration. The ticket fee was a dollar. That's a lot of money back then. $400 was collected that evening. Think about it. This is 1849. They made $400. People weren't making $400 in a year. There were believers and doubters right from the start. Early on, people came together to form a committee to try and find the solution to these strange knocking sounds. Believers were often religious folks, and sometimes non-religious folks. Skeptics could be made up of scientists. They could also be made up of people from fundamentalist churches. Oddly, similar phenomenon sometimes took place inside fundamentalist churches, and no one ever doubted their authenticity. But outside of the sacred house, the church, it was considered blasphemy. At the final demonstration at Corinthian Hall, a riot broke out among the audience and the girls had to be escorted home by police. Soon, we get to a host of 19th century celebrities. Chief among them is the newspaperman Horace Greeley. Now, for those unaware, he started the New York Tribune newspaper, which was a huge newspaper of its time. He popularized the slogan, Go West, young man, when the country was looking for people to move and settle further west. And he may have been the man who gave the newly formed Republican Party their name. Greeley met the girls in 1850, when the girls had first come to New York City for demonstrations. This time, it was Mrs. Fox, the mothers, along with Kate, Maggie, and Leah. According to David Price's book, Greeley, upon finding the age of the girls, set aside a special fund to help pay for their education. Kate would indeed take him up on the offer to pay for her school. The other sister, Margaret, or Maggie, began presenting the seances solo. But before that time, Greeley wrote about the girls in his paper. And due to its nationwide circulation, the word spread from coast to coast about these girls. If Horace Greeley watched your phenomenon and liked it, could it be more real? Greeley's name added legitimacy to what the girls were doing. While in New York, another event took place the arrival of Jenny Lind, the Swedish nightingale. She was brought over to America by P.T. Barnum. She was a sensation everywhere she went and an example of P.T. Barnum stepping into legitimate theater. And according to the book Talking to the Dead, Jenny Lind had a celebrity in mind that she wanted to meet. And that celebrity was Kate Fox. Through their mutual association with Horace Greeley, that connection was made and a seance was scheduled. Reading what took place, it seems that Mrs. Lind was not so easily deceived, and at first blatantly accused Greeley of making the noise, the knocking noises, with his hands underneath the table. So Greeley raised his hands and kept them up the rest of the seance as the knockings took place. In the end, Jenny Lind and Kate Fox parted on friendly terms, so the seance can be looked upon as a success. In 1853, Maggie was giving seances at the Union Hotel in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Kate would rejoin the show at some point. Though she never really sat idly by, she was doing demonstrations and her own seances away from Sister Maggie. Oh, and get this. Somewhere along the time that all of this was going on, Leah, the oldest sister, discovered she too had this special gift to speak to the spirits. Leah Fox Fish, to my mind, is the reason for the Fox sisters. She's the reason they became a national phenomenon. Without her, they would have stayed in Hydesville, New York, and likely just faded away and grown up and gotten married, as was the custom back then. But the knocking, rapping sensation, that would grow under Leah's care. And apparently it was Leah's whole idea to start her own religion, using this whole spirit-rapping communication thing as the basis. And now for a quick commercial message before we return to
1: the podcast. Hello, my name is Billy Diamond, and I've been a magician for over 40 years. When I'm not performing, I help other entertainers build a successful brand presence. Maybe you're frustrated because you struggle in the entertainment business. I can tell you this, if you're looking for valuable insights into the most common and frustrating identity issues that both amateur and even professional entertainers face, the Branding for Entertainers podcast will help you shine. My podcast guests also share their stories, and together we'll bring you some practical advice about the business of entertainment. We'll help you polish your visual, verbal, and even your virtual identity so that entertainment buyers, agents, and even your live audience will begin to listen You can listen to this podcast for free at brandingentertainers.com forward slash podcast. That's podcast with an S on the end. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or even your favorite podcast platform. So join us for the Branding for Entertainers podcast, and we'll help you grow your entertainment career.
0: In October 1852, a new person steps into the life of Margaret, Dr. Alicia Kent Kane. He was a famed Arctic explorer and quickly fell for the young Maggie Fox. She was 19 years old at the time. Kane was convinced that the sisters were frauds, but that didn't stop him from wanting to be with Maggie. According to several sources, he made her swear to turn her back on spiritualism, which she said she would do for a time. Dr. Kane in 1853 professed his love for Maggie, and according to the book Talking to the Dead, also confessed to Maggie he had been engaged via his parents to another woman, but promised to break off that engagement so the two of them could wed. This has the makings of a huge 19th century scandal, but while on a trip overseas in 1857, Dr. Alicia Kent Kane died at 37 years old. Maggie tried to declare they had a common-law marriage, but the courts would not accept it. The Kane family rejected any association with Maggie Fox, at least at first. This and other factors led her down a long road of depression and alcoholism. According to the book The Haunting of America, President Franklin Pierce and his wife had suffered a number of tragedies, specifically the loss of their children. Their third son, Benjamin, was killed in a tragic train accident while traveling with his parents. Mrs. Pierce went into mourning and never really came out. But one thing we know, she had heard of the popularity of the Fox sisters, and they were invited to the White House for the first ever seance at the White House. Unfortunately, things within the walls of that building were as secure then as they are now, so no record exists of the outcome of the seance except to say that apparently the Pierce's were pleased with the seance. The Pierce's were not the only presidential attendees who witnessed the Fox Sister's seance, Mary Todd Lincoln, the wife of President Lincoln, was a staunch spiritualist. In fact, it's rumored that she had seances in the White House to try and contact her dead son, Willie, who died during the president's term. She suffered greatly from migraines and other ailments, and after her husband's assassination in 1865, she went to live with her sister for a time. Her most iconic connection to spiritualism still exists today, Sometime later in life, she went to see the famous William Mumler, a Boston engraver and photographer. The photograph, taken by Mumler, still exists. It's an image of Mary Todd Lincoln with the spectral image of her husband Abraham behind her with his hands on her shoulders. This was one of Mumler's specialties, Spirit Photography. And I'm not sure if I worded that correctly, but Mary Todd Lincoln had attended a seance with the Fox sisters. Not at the White House, but later um, after uh, she had left the White House. Spiritualism likely would not have lasted if it was only knocking sounds. In truth, the Fox sisters likely wouldn't have lasted either. Before long, new phenomenon began to spring up by many other mediums. No less than the fantastical phenomenon surrounded the Davenport Brothers' spirit cabinet, which I'm only mentioning this for this briefest of moments because I shall cover the Davenports more in a future episode. By 1864, it can be noted the mediumship and spiritualism had included table tipping, trumpet blowing, trance speaking, sightseeing, slate writing, among other things. This was revealed via the first spiritualist national convention in Chicago. By the 1860s, Maggie was out of seances. She was still mourning the death of Dr. Alicia Kent Kane. She converted to Catholicism and turned her back on spiritualism, though technically she did not turn her back on spirit phenomenon or her sisters. Kate, on the other hand, was very busy in the seance world. She was conducting seances for a man named Charles Livermore, a wealthy banker, his wife had recently died, and he was desperate to reach her. And reach her he did through Kate's seance. In fact, at one point, there was the assertion that Estelle Livermore would appear in person. This is a bold statement. Yet, according to the book, Talking to the Dead, she did listen to this. Then an illuminated substance like gauze rose from the floor behind us, moved about the room, and finally came in front of us. Vigorous electrical sounds were heard. The gauze-like substance assumed the form of a human head covered, the covering drawn close around the neck. Charles Livermore knew exactly, in an instant, that was his wife, and she would appear again and again at other seances. Not only would she appear, but Often she would levitate and vanish into thin air. I could say that is way beyond knocking sounds, yeah. And according to the book, it, it set a standard maybe way too high for other mediums to reach. Now, please don't think the things were carefree for the sisters. They were often up against investigations into their methods. There was a very famous investigation by the Siebert Commission via the University of Pennsylvania. During this investigation, one of the committee was very confident he had discovered something, but he couldn't quite figure it out. When he put his hand on Kate's foot, he could feel vibration, but there was no movement of the foot. It was unusual, and the sisters uh, were invited to come back because, well, you know, the investigators thought they were close, let's bring the sisters back. And the sisters realized, no, we don't need to come back, and they never did return. There was another investigation attended by none other than John Wyman in 1857. John Wyman was a very popular magician on the East Coast known as Wyman the Wizard. And I covered Wyman the Wizard on podcast episode 12, if you want to check that out. Wyman would go on to add spirit debunking to his act. In fact, there was a plethora of magicians during this time that included John Henry Anderson, Robert Heller, Samory Baldwin, and Horatio Green Cook, all of which did spirit debunking. Of those gentlemen I just mentioned, Heller is covered in episode 14 of the podcast, Baldwin is covered in episode 30 of the podcast, and Harry Horatio Green Cook is covered in episode 16 if you want to check them out. We often think of Houdini as the great debunker of spirit mediums, but countless magicians were debunking spirit acts long before Houdini was even born. I own a handbill from Professor Harry Cook, which states his act in bold letters, it says, spiritualism at the top, and then below that, in small letters, it says, without the use of spirits. (laughs) Uh, Harry Houdini was really reintroducing the whole debunking thing. Because when World War I broke out, you had thousands of soldiers that had passed away and you had grieving loved ones who wanted to have communication with those that had recently departed. The Fox sisters were tested all over the globe, which also means they were featured all over the globe as well. In 1873, while in London, Kate Fox married a man named Jenkin. He was a lawyer. They would go on to have two boys uh, together before returning to the United States. And it's here in 1873 that Kate meets the chemist William Crooks, who goes about investigating her. They set up a series of seances for him to attend, as well as a committee of his own creation. He sees a number of really unique phenomenon from Kate, stuff I hadn't heard of before. She does uh, some automatic writing. Um, spirit hands appear in the air. A large, really heavy table moves on its own accord. Some really wild phenomenon. And he comes away thinking that she is the real deal. It all began with an apple. Remember when I said that when we began? The year was 1888. Maggie Fox is ready to come clean. Years of alcoholism and struggles had gotten the best of her. She was interviewed by a reporter for the New York Herald. The headline of the damning article reads, A Celebrated Medium Says spirits never return. Now, the revelation that would shake the foundations of the spiritual world of all the times they had these seances, they never contacted spirits, the spirits never came back. They were forced to do this by their older sister Leah, because Margaret and Catherine were basically very young at the time, and Leah, who being much older, um, took control and forced them to do this. And that's what that article said. It painted Leah in a very bad light. But that wasn't the end of it. That was just step number one. The next step, Maggie's true confession. That would take place October twenty-first, 1888 at the Academy of Music in New York. Maggie began by demonstrating the knocking sounds without doing the revelation. She also told the story about when she was young, she and her sister Kate or try strings to apples, and then kind of drag them across the floor, making these unusual pounding or knocking sounds. That's where the whole apple thing came from. So just a string tied to the stem of an apple dragging across the floor. They would make these odd knocking sounds. And then the sisters decided, well, how do we do that without the apples? It's got to be a way to do it. And first they started snapping their fingers and they realized before too long that they could snap something else. And that was their toes. They had this unusual ability to snap their toes and it made this knocking sound, especially when it was pressed up against the floor. This is what Maggie was demonstrating at the Academy of Music because after she did this first demonstration, then she got up and she stood on top of the table where her feet and toes could clearly be seen. And she started snapping them, and the sound reverberated around the room. The spiritualists in the audience went crazy, and that's crazy in a bad way. Many in the audience laughed because here was the revelation. they, were, Hey, we knew it was fake, and here it is, it's fake. And there were likely some in the audience who over the years had figured out the secret as it had been discussed from time to time, though it was always just a theory. Spiritualism was dead. Uh, Oh, wait, no, 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 no. Actually, it wasn't. (laughs) There were still believers galore all over the world. Many of them didn't even believe Maggie's claims. Even Maggie at some point tried to say that she was coerced into giving the expose and that it wasn't true. In fact, she returned to spiritualism and remained a medium the last six years of her life. She died on March the 8th, 1894. Kate, Catherine Fox, dies in 1892. The older sister, Leah, she died in 1890. They were buried in the Cypress Hills Cemetery in Brooklyn, New York. The same cemetery, by the way, that Senor Blitz is married in who has not had a podcast about him yet. There was a marketed decline in spiritualism after this, but as I said, with World War I and the thousands of uh, soldiers' deaths, the religion saw a resurgence. Strangely, there were prominent magicians who believed in spiritualism. Howard Thurston, just to name one. Now, I can't say where I fall on the subject. Um, I'm certainly not a spiritualist in regard to the religion, but um, I have had my own ghostly encounters. And by the way, I also do present a seance in one of my shows. However, it is a theatrical seance, and I make note of that, that it is a theatrical seance. I know full well that we're not contacting real spirits, and I try to get that across to the audience as well before all the really weird and strange stuff happens. And I'll also mention that um, on more than one occasion while doing the seance, weird stuff that's not supposed to happen does happen. So (laughs) make of that what you will. Uh, And with that, I hope you've enjoyed episode 57, the first episode of season three. And by the way, I do have a lot in store for season three. Some new features are coming. Uh, In fact, there was going to be one big one to start all this off. But as I said, I couldn't get it together. So I'll just reveal it now. Back in March, I was anticipating whether the pandemic might run long, maybe into the end of the year. Actually, you know, back in March, they were saying it would be over in mid-April. So, you know, this was a a long shot. My idea was to purchase a specific domain name and really do a a big uh, event with it. And that domain was virtualhoudiniseance.com. Yeah, yeah. I bought seance.com. And like I said, I had something really grand in mind, but I just couldn't get it done, not to the way I wanted to. So I just decided, nah, I'll save it for another year. And as it was, there were probably two or three other virtual Houdini seances anyway. I certainly hope that this time next year we're out of this pandemic, but boy, it's anybody's guess, really. Wow. And that doesn't mean that the whole virtual thing will be over, by the way. I should mention that. I tend to think that the whole uh, virtual technology is here to stay, which I hope it is because I think it's very cool, very, an amazing um, interactive type of technology. So I, I love that aspect of it. So who, who knows? Maybe next year we will do something uh, really, uh, really great. And my friends, that looks like it's going to do it for this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie. Until next time, please stay safe and be well.